Thank you for joining us this morning. Uh, as, as you know, if you've been here before, if you've been uh, listening to the previous messages, you know we have been going through the life of Christ chronologically, taking Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and putting them in chronological order. And so we're going to be in John chapter 10 today. So if you want to go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn there, if you want to uh, use the Bible app, you can go to uversion.com and uh, and and click there uh, to, to uh, get on John chapter 10. But we, we want to know the context of everything that Jesus says and does so that we can understand it uh, even better. And, and I feel like this, this message today is going to be one where the context is so incredibly important and opens up so much of the message to us of what Jesus says. Now feel free to comment questions. Uh, you can either comment them using the online platform. You can comment them if you're watching on YouTube. Um, you can email them to us. And if we get any questions about the message today, we will do our best to put together a video answering those questions. Um, so make sure to say hello. Let us know you're worshiping with us. Um, say hello in the comments and, and uh, it'll be a great opportunity for you to share any prayer requests you have. If you do have any prayer requests at the bottom of this window is a, a little button that will have a live prayer request. And you click that and it will open a separate window so that one of our ministers will be able to pray with you and, uh, and, and talk to you. Um, so we just encourage you to uh, share this video on Facebook, share it on YouTube, uh, text message, email, let people know. They may not have a home church. They may not have any, uh, any church that they, they consider uh, their home or that's ministering to them. And so we encourage you to check it out. Um, if you have your Bibles, like I said, turn to John chapter 10. That's where we're going to be. The title of the message today is The Good Shepherd. I, I thought about coming up with a really catchy title, but I thought, you know what? That's really good, the good shepherd. And that's what we're going to talk about today. In, in all my years of living, uh, 40 plus years of living, I have never met a real life shepherd. Not, at least not that I know of. I've met ranchers who herd lots of cattle. I've known some pig farmers when I lived in Arkansas. But I don't think I've ever met a real life shepherd. And I would imagine that a lot of the characteristics of raising and caring for animals is the same, regardless of what kind of animal that it is. But the Bible uses one analogy repeatedly throughout the Bible when he's talking about how he leads his people. And he doesn't say that we're the pigs of his pig pen or the cows of his hills. He calls the, his people the sheep of his pasture. And God uses the analogy of us being sheep and him being the shepherd so much that it's a very familiar connection. The reason that many of the patriarchs uh, were shepherds uh, helps us connect these ideas. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, the prophet Amos, and so many other biblical characters were shepherds. It takes unique patience to be a shepherd. There's a, there's a whole lot of sitting around and watching. You're paying attention to the noises around the flock that could be predators trying to sneak up on them. You're ensuring the flock is well fed and well watered. You're constantly keeping count of your sheep to ensure that one doesn't go missing. The presence of a good shepherd allows the sheep to safely graze 
and to lie down in peace because they know they're safe. Now in John chapter 8, Jesus had the encounter with the woman who was caught in the act of adultery. He gave hope to a helpless woman in a desperate situation. He was confronted by the religious leaders and that's when he revealed to them that he was the Son of God and the Messiah yet again. And they rejected such a statement. They called him a blasphemer and they sought to stone him. Well, the next chapter that we went over two weeks ago was John chapter 9, where Jesus called himself the light of the world and he proved it by healing a blind man. So you can see the, the uh, poetic irony in this story. He heals a blind man and calls himself the light of the world. This conversation in John chapter 9 led to a very spirited argument with religious leaders again because he healed the man on the Sabbath day. He made clay or mud and he used that to heal the man and, and to form eyes for this man. And that was against one of their religious traditions. The Pharisees were so caught up in following their man-made rules that they ignored that God in flesh, Jesus, had just performed a huge miracle in their town. They were more concerned with rules than God's presence. Jesus rebuked them, calling them blind guides. One year, my family took a cruise for a vacation. And one of the stops on this cruise was the island of Cozumel off the coast of Mexico. We got off the boat and we had been there once before. And so this year we decided to hire a taxi driver to give us a tour of the island. We figured nobody knows this island better than a local who had, who had grown up there. And so he took us to all the best shops, the best places to eat, the best beach that was not overcrowded. He knew the island better than anyone else because he grew up there. He went to high school there. He was a good and well-informed guide. He wanted us to see the island the way he did. But what if he had been a blind guide? If he was blind, we would constantly be questioning where he was headed. He would repeatedly drive the car off into the ditch. He wouldn't know where he was going. But because this was all new to us, we wouldn't have known what was wrong. We wouldn't have known that he wasn't going anywhere intelligent or helpful for us. And this is what the Pharisees were doing and why Jesus was so upset with them. In response to that, Jesus referred to himself as the good shepherd and referred to them as blind guides. And the statement where Jesus refers to himself as the good shepherd does not seem confrontational, but it absolutely was. It was a slap in the face to the Pharisees. Let me explain why. The Pharisees would have been very familiar with the prophet Ezekiel. And towards the end of Ezekiel's prophecies, in chapter 34, God spoke out against the religious leaders. In Ezekiel 34, verses 1 through 4, it says, The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, 
even to the shepherds or the religious leaders. That's the analogy. Even to the shepherds. Thus says the Lord God. Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves. Should not the shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat. You clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat ones, but you don't feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness you have ruled them. God was furious at the religious leaders of Ezekiel's day, which were continuing all the same practices in Jesus's ministry. They were supposed to lead the people, to love them, feed them spiritually, take care of their needs, bind up the brokenhearted, give them hope, point them to the Father, and call back the prodigals to return and heal those who were sick. But instead, by force, by cruelty and severity, they dominated them. And Ezekiel's prophecy went on to say that because they were absolutely failures at shepherding his flock, Israel, that he was sending himself to shepherd them. Ezekiel 34, verses 11 through 12, it says, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And in verse 15 and 16 it says, God continues, he says, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. And I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak and the fat and strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. God was furious with the religious leaders and said since they were such inept and worthless leaders of his people, he would come down and shepherd them himself. He would seek out the lost, bring back the prodigals, bind up those who were wounded and injured, and strengthen the weak, all while tearing down the proud and arrogant, self-righteous religious leaders. So when Jesus calls himself the Good Shepherd, it wasn't this meek and mild statement we often attribute it to be. It was a declaration that, Israel's, uh, that Ezekiel's prophecy had been fulfilled in him. If he truly was the good shepherd, then he was declaring himself to be God. And this was a fact that every Pharisee would have picked up on. They were wicked and worthless shepherds, and Jesus was God in flesh who was the good shepherd. Knowing that background, now we can read John chapter 10 in its proper context. And the first point that Jesus made as the good shepherd is, number one, Jesus is the way of salvation. Jesus is the way of salvation. John chapter 10, verses 7 
and 9, it says, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. And then verse 9, it says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Now, this statement left no confusion, no ambiguity. He was declaring himself to be God by stating that he alone could save the people. This was blasphemy to them if it were not true. But it was true because Jesus is God. He did things only God can do, including the impossible with man raising the dead and even raising himself from the dead. Throughout John's gospel, he quoted Jesus repeatedly declaring himself to be God. He and the Father are one. He is the resurrection and the life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the true vine. Time and again, he stated that he was God and left no doubt in the mind of his listeners. This is why they repeatedly tried to stone him. Yet it was not prophesied that Jesus would die by stoning, but by being beaten, whipped, and pierced, which was the Roman way of execution. Therefore, they could not kill him. They had to devise a plan to get the Romans to kill Jesus. Little did they know they were actually accomplishing Isaiah's prophecy that the Messiah, the, the Messiah whom they rejected, would die by piercing. Through their actions, they were actually proving Jesus to be the Messiah they scorned and refused to believe in. Through the fulfilled prophecies that they themselves were carrying out. Jesus is the way of salvation. He said, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. The second thing, as the good shepherd, Jesus gives life to the fullest. Jesus gives life to the fullest. We often hear John 10, 10 quoted when Jesus said, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. This is often treated as a verse referring to Satan, but that's not the context of it. Now, to be sure, Satan is a liar and a thief and a destroyer. But who is the thief that Jesus refers to here? Well, he actually answers that at the very beginning of this chapter. He gives you the context of the thief he's referring to in John 10, verse 1. It says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in another way, is a thief and a robber. These thieves and robbers are those who disguise themselves as religious people. But their goal is to steal sheep, to deceive them, to trick them into leaving the flock. Connecting the Pharisees back to Ezekiel's prophecy, Jesus accused the Pharisees of doing this very thing. They were shepherds who had only looked out for themselves. They were thieves who were stealing the spiritual joys and victories that the people could experience. And instead, they were cruelly burdening them with rules and traditions that would, not need, that would not lead to life. The word destroy here, steal, kill, and destroy. The word destroy is where we get one of the names for the devil. 
Apollyon, the destroyer. Jesus reminded them, as he said before, that they were not representing God as their father. They were representing their real father, the devil, who would do anything to turn people's hearts away from a right relationship with God, even to the point of using legalistic traditions and made-up rules within their own religion to do so. Don't miss the power of that point. Even within church, it's so easy to get caught up in traditions and made-up rules that if strictly enforced will not lead to life, but will lead to legalism. Christ said, I came that they may have life and life abundantly, which we'll cover in a minute. Jesus contrasted their method with his. He didn't come to take anything from the people, but to give something to them. He came to give them abundant life, supreme life, extraordinary life, life much more than anything they could have imagined. He knew they couldn't possibly know what was in store for them, but he did his best to tell them ahead of time that something amazing was coming. Salvation was here. Salvation was talking to them, healing their sick, raising their dead. And the salvation that Jesus provided was not a once a year, bring your offering to the temple kind of salvation that they had been dealing with. It was a once and for all sacrifice that he would make on their behalf. This leads us to point number three. As good shepherd, Jesus would lay down his life for them. Jesus would lay down his life for them. He said in John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Four times in this chapter, Jesus made the statement that he would lay down his life for them. He said it, repeated it, said it again, and repeated it again. There would have been no doubt in the minds of the listeners what he's referring to. He said he would die for them. But then he said something even more surprising. John 10, 17 through 18. It's Jesus said, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, and I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and I have the authority to take it back up again. This charge I have received from my father. This would have been absolutely shocking to the original hearers. Jesus was explicitly making the claim that he was God because no one can raise the dead but God. Jesus is no passive victim here. He said that he would willingly lay down his life, that he would die, and that he alone had the authority to do so, to lay his life down. That no one had the authority over him to arrest him, beat him, or crucify him without his willingness. And not only did his authority trump all religious and civil authorities, but he also had the authority the right, the power to raise himself from the dead. 
Can you even imagine standing in an audience if someone were to say that? Some pastor you heard preach at a, at a crusade or, or so, you heard someone on TV make that declaration that only they had the authority to lay their life down, but they also had the authority to raise their life back up, to raise themselves from the dead. That would have been blasphemy to say such things because Jesus was declaring himself to do things only God can do. Then it would have been blasphemy if it weren't true. But for Jesus, it was all true. Going back to Ezekiel, God gave him a vi the vision of the valley of dry bones in Ezekiel 37. In order to speak this prophetic word in verse 13, Ezekiel 37, 13, it says, And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. Ezekiel 37, 13, God was asserting his authority and power to bring the dead to life. And Jesus already connecting himself with the good shepherd in Ezekiel 34, has now connected himself to the giver of resurrection life in Ezekiel 37. Finally, as the good shepherd, number four, Jesus knows his sheep and they know him. He knows his sheep and they know him. A shepherd often names his sheep. He knows their quirks and their characteristics. He helped deliver the sheep when they were first born. He knows the ones that will stumble and fall a lot. He knows the strong ones, the strong-willed ones. He knows the ones that seem to stray, and yet he loves them all the same. Some require a little more maintenance than others, but that doesn't lessen or diminish his love for the sheep. If a wolf came to the sheep pen, the shepherd would face the wolf head on to protect his sheep. He would lay down his life for them. And that care and that devotion is demonstrated in the trust the sheep give to their shepherd. In John 10, 3, he, Jesus said that the sheep hear his voice, that he calls them by name and he leads them. John 10, 4, Jesus said that as the good shepherd, he goes before them and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. The wonderful thing about sheep is that sheep will follow only a voice they recognize. Later in John 10, 27, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I want you to consider that for a moment. We live in a society that has grown increasingly impersonal. We hide behind avatars and Snapchat filters. We meet each other online and only present the best side of ourselves to anyone. We know many people, but are known by very few. We can be fairly invisible or only publicizing the version of ourselves we want people to see, the polished side, the put-together side. But no one knows what we really struggle with. 
No one knows what really keeps us up on sleepless nights. No one knows what worries us. No one knows what we're afraid will come to light, what secrets our heart holds. Consider that we serve a God who knows every secret, every secret we've ever had, who knows every dark and terrible thing we've ever done, and who loves us infinitely regardless of those things. It's just so hard to comprehend a love like that, a love with absolutely no strings attached. Knowing everything we've ever done or ever will do and loving us despite all that, God said in Ezekiel 34, 31, and you are my sheep, human sheep of my pasture, and I am your God, declares the Lord God. What are we to do with a love like that? A love that took all of our failures, all of our faults, all of our insecurities in mind and loved us anyway. A love that forgives all our trespasses. A God that loved us first. What are we to do with a love like that? We must come to a place, if you haven't already, that because he died for me, I must live for him. Now, having understood what it means for Jesus to be the good shepherd and for us to be the sheep of his pasture, let's read the most famous psalm in all the book. Psalm 23, with this new understanding. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want or I shall not lack any good thing. He leads me to lie down, to stretch out in green pastures. He leads me beside still, quiet, restful waters. He restores repairs and refreshes my soul. He leads and guides me in the paths of righteousness for his own name's sake. Even though or indeed I will walk through the narrow valley of the shadow of death, of deep darkness, I will fear no evil. I will fear no mischief, no wickedness, no trouble. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort and console me. You prepare, you arrange, you set in order, you ordain a king's table before me in the presence, right in front of my enemies who show hostility towards me. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows and is abundantly saturated. Surely your goodness and mercy, your kindness and your faithfulness shall follow me. They'll pursue me. They'll run after me all the days of my life. And I will dwell. I will remain. I will abide in the house of the Lord forever. Jesus is the good shepherd who never leaves us, 
He never forsakes us. He never abandons us. He is a very present help in time of trouble. How? Because even if we walk, even when we walk through a narrow valley of darkness and death, he is with us. So we will never need to fear. Regardless of what you face today, this week, this month, or this year, Jesus is still the same. Our circumstances will change. Our scenery may go from green pastures to uh, green pastures and still waters to dark valleys. Yet he is the same good shepherd to you that he always has been and always will be. With Jesus as our guide into his righteous ways, we will joyfully abide in God's house all our days. With Jesus leading the way, that is cause for tremendous joy and peace regardless of what is on the horizon. The Lord God is our good shepherd and we will lack no good thing. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness to your people. We thank you, Lord, that we have been walking through a dark valley. For the last month, we have been quarantined and we have uh, had to cut off contact with people and, and not be able to worship together as a church family. Some people have not been able to work. Some people have, have struggled uh, during this time to find the necessities for their family. But Father, we thank you that you have been faithful, that we can depend on you, that you are a good shepherd, that if since you are our shepherd, we lack no good thing, that you take care of us, you lead us and you guide us. And so, Father, we thank you that we can trust you, we can depend on you. So, God, we just exalt your name today and we worship you and we thank you for your faithfulness to your people, for your own name's sake. Father, we pray that if there are those that need healing in their bodies, Lord, that you would touch them, that you, as the good shepherd, you've you took up that cause and, and uh, to heal your people. And so, Father, we pray that you would touch them. For those that need uh, a touch emotionally, they're struggling with loneliness and isolation. Lord, that you would just comfort them, uh, that you would be near to them. Father, that you would just wrap them up in your arms of love. Father, we pray for peace in the homes. Lord, that you would help us have patience with our family members patience with our employers, our jobs. Uh, Lord, as, as some folks try to work from home or some folks just try to work at all, Lord, we pray that you would be a very present help in time of trouble. God, we thank you for leading us through this valley. And we thank you, Lord, for the green pastures and the quiet waters that lay ahead of us that you have in store for us. And that, Lord, sheep only lay down when they're at perfect peace and your presence makes us lie down. It gives us that peace that we know we are perfectly safe. So Lord, help that peace rule and reign in our hearts and in our minds. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.
God bless you, Friendship Church. We pray that this message was an encouragement to you. Please make sure that you share it. We'll have a YouTube link posted uh, shortly. And so we encourage you to share the link, um, share these messages. You never know what will be an encouragement to someone who's going through a dark valley. And we pray that this will be a huge encouragement to them. So God bless you. We'll see you soon.